0: But I was just thinking everyone at the table who all was sitting there. You know, Judas was at the table as well, and we all know that story. But um, aren't you glad that the church, no one left the church because of what he did? You know what I'm saying? I mean, we hear so many people getting offended over people. Well, this person or that person, and it's like, really? Is that who you're looking at or people? I mean, it should be the resurrected king. And, um, but I just thought, I'm so glad none of them left because of what Judas did, you know? So we can think of that. But anyway, that was a rabbit trail, so. Um, I don't have a deep message or a deep nugget or anything. It's Resurrection Sunday. We celebrate Resurrection Sunday every Sunday because he is alive. He's in us. He's the hope of glory that resides in us. And when we go to the cross, we go to the cross and we end up getting life. And although that was a cross for, for death, a lot of times we just, sometimes we, some people, you know, focus on a death message, and it's death, 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 but it's really about life. And if we get stuck in that, then death becomes our Savior, and it's a hope to get somewhere someday. And, but really, it's life. And, that, and without the resurrection then we don't have a message as Christians because that's what makes us Christians is the resurrection. You know, when you come to Grace Life, you might hear us say some, throw out some nuggets or myself, and, you know, we might, we got to chew on those. We might have to wrestle with those a little bit. You don't even have to agree, and we tell you that. We just teach you how to think, not what to think. But one thing that we have to meet on is the resurrection. I mean, we can't not, not agree on that. That's where the rubber meets the road whenever we're in ministry together is we have to agree on the resurrection, you know, he's alive, he rose, and, you know, I was blessed, I'm humbled to be able to think about, oh my gosh, how good he's been, and being able to go to Israel, and, and see that all that life come alive, just where he was, and the tomb was empty, and it's like, yeah, I mean, the resurrection is real, and I know that Paul had that same probably argument back in his generation because, oh, he wasn't real. He, he really didn't raise or anything. And, you know, Paul wasn't there at the tomb to see it. He was going by faith as well. He also had a vision, but, um you know, of the Lord. But, you know, he, he said if Christ has not raised, then we are still dead in our sin. And so I just want to encourage you that when you come here that we pray. Do That you do hear Jesus. That's our, like he said, our mandate, our endeavor is to preach Jesus real big and real good. And his resurrection is what gives us our message. It's what gives us our life. Um, Without that, you know, we can preach a doctrine or principles or disciplines or anything like that, and it's just dead works. You know, it's a dead works to serve a living God. But when we preach the resurrection in life, we have life more abundantly. And it's transformation. It's transfiguring. It's new creation. And that's what we are, new creations. You know, I posted this morning, Happy Resurrection Day. And I just put a butterfly on there because, you know, we haven't talked about that much. I mean, it's, it's just these basic elementary things. But sometimes we have to go back to what really happened. We were our new creations. You know, a caterpillar transformed into a butterfly. And that's what he says when we were transformed. Formed and become new creations. And now that we are new creations, we are solid and fixed in our identity and who we are because we can't go back to what we were. It's impossible. It's impossible for a butterfly to go back to a caterpillar, it's impossible for a newborn to go back into his mother's womb. So when we are born again, we're a new creation, it's because of his resurrection, we have resurrection life in us. And that's why, I mean, I was on both sides of the, you know, in my journey of okay, I'm saved, and then okay, no, I'm not saved, and then it's back and forth, and I had just as many scriptures as somebody might have to tell me I could lose it, and I believed it, because I was one of those. But the more revelation that I have of his love that compels us, that lives in us in his resurrection life, that is in us, that quickened and made alive our mortal bodies, the same resurrection power, the more I know that I am secure in his blood and what he's done for me, and the new life that I have. And so, I, I mean, you can't take that away from me. I'm sorry. And, and that's one of the things we can agree to disagree on, whatever, but we have to believe on the resurrection, right? And he, he's alive. And so, we don't want to preach a dead, dead death, death, but we want to preach life. And um, so, I think I announced the worship and my little rabbit trail of I'm glad you all still come and you love us and you know, we're, we're human and you know, we might not say things you like or do things that you see that you don't like, but I'm glad you keep coming because it's about him because he's in us and we just want to portray him big and good and see him in you big and good. Amen? Yeah. All right. So anyway, happy Resurrection Day. <laughs> that look like an Easter
1: egg. You look beautiful in purple. I love it. She doesn't think she's very photogenic, but she she is in my book, so I have to get some Easter pictures with you after church if you'll you'll let me. (laughs) Hey, we are in a series, and it's from the book of Exodus, and we are finding Jesus uh, in the book of Exodus, and um, we've talked about several things uh, that we find are prophetic and foreshadowing of Christ, um, and we... It's been a great, great time, and this morning we're going to find another one of those, and I want to give you an introduction from that. If you'll turn in your Bibles, it's not going to be on the screen. You can use your smart devices, or um, if you have a written copy of it, that's great, too. And turn with me to Luke, the 24th chapter. This is something that the Lord gave me this morning before sunrise service that I didn't put in notes, and that's why it's not on the screen, but I think it's a great introduction into looking at the book of Exodus on Easter Sunday morning. And I can hear the clicks of people already liking my message on Facebook. Uh, I can hear it. Can you hear those clicks? I can hear it. Thank you for doing that. And, uh, but verse 27, chapter 24 of Luke, this is after the resurrection. He's already appeared to his disciples in a room. And here are two of his other disciples, and they are walking along the road in Luke 24, a seven-mile journey back to Jerusalem, uh, or to Emmaus from Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, a third person just magically appears before their eyes. Boom. He's there. And it's Jesus. Jesus is walking along with them, and they didn't recognize him. I wonder today if Jesus would just appear in our midst as we walk... Out the doors and down the sidewalk if we would recognize Jesus. These two disciples didn't recognize him in his physical form, resurrected body. But verse 27 says that beginning from Moses and from all of the prophets, he was explaining to them in all of the scripture the things concerning himself so I want to do what Jesus did after his resurrection this morning and I want to begin with Moses and while I want to dig into the scripture and share all of the things concerning him will you go with me let's pray father as we share the word from the words of scripture I pray that Jesus will be seen and magnified this morning For those who do not know and have not experienced the resurrected Lord and their salvation, may they believe this morning. May those who have wandered in their minds and thought they were enemies of God come to the realization that they've never been your enemy and that you love them. Now may we never be the same after we've heard these words in Jesus' name. Amen. Those two disciples said, After hearing Jesus, did not our hearts burn within us as we heard his words? John the first chapter, verse 29. John the Baptist declares something about Jesus. It's an an amazing thing to me that he did not declare that as as Jesus came over the banks of the Jordan River. He did not declare, Behold the teacher. Jesus was a great teacher. He did not proclaim, Behold the healer. He did not proclaim, Behold the miracle worker, the storm stopper, the hurricane husher, the water walker. He did not proclaim any of those things, yet Jesus was all of those things. He proclaimed in verse 29 of John the first chapter, Behold the Lamb. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Underline that word lamb there in your Bibles. And let's journey back to Moses in the book of Exodus where we've been having our series. And let's look at chapter 12. Keep your finger in John one twenty nine and jump over to Exodus the 12th chapter. Because John said, Behold the Lamb of God. What lamb? Why, why a lamb? Well, we have to look at what... Uh, transpired when the children of Israel were in slavery to the Egyptians which is a type and shadow or a prophetic vision of us being trapped in slavery and bondage to sin and we've learned that Jesus was the bread is the bread of life and that the manna was a symbol of that bread of life that was a fresh supply every morning Jesus is a fresh his mercies are brand new Every morning. Aren't you thankful for that? That you get a clean slate every day? We found out that as Moses was a deliverer for his people, the children of Israel, Jesus is the deliverer for all people. No one was left out at the cross of Calvary. He included all. I'm thankful. In chapter 12, it gives us that the Passover. And it. God introduces it and He institutes the Passover meal for the Jews. What He's going to tell them in chapter 12 is going to lead up to their exodus, thus the the name of the book, their exodus out of Egypt into freedom. Chapter 12 tells us in verse 5 that there needs to be a sacrifice, that there was going to have to be a sacrifice made and then that sacrifice is described. He said, take a lamb for each household. So there it is. That's the sacrifice. He is telling them in the Old Testament, before your exodus, there's going to be a Passover. There's going to be something that I institute that will be a sign that is not just a sign for you to celebrate your exodus out of Egypt, but it is going to be, prophetically speaking, of a lamb that is to come that will relieve and deliver and rescue all people. So the Passover is instituted, the sacrifice is described, and he says, take a lamb for each household. But if Jaden has a small home and he does not have a lamb, then if I am his neighbor, then I can provide a lamb for him and invite him to my house because he wasn't going to exclude anyone. The, oh, I feel that, that lamb was available for everyone. Can you imagine? If you read Exodus, it says... And this is a Jewish custom that was established in the Scriptures. They only counted the men. Uh, That's not me. That's just the way the Scriptures are. But I can guarantee you if there were 600,000 men, there had to be some women around because it says there were children too. And those weren't all virgin births. Immaculate conceptions. So you've got to be nearing 2 million people because those Jewish households weren't 1.1 child per family. You know, they had multiple, I mean, the the tribes of Israel, 12 sons come from one man. So there's 2 million plus Jews. Now every household is going to have to take a lamb. Can you imagine how many lambs were going to be sacrificed? Yeah, nasty. Just a bunch of blood, isn't it? Verses 6 and 7 tells us about that blood and what to do with that blood in the Passover. It says that they were, te- now watch this, it was to take the blood after the animal was killed and put it on the doorpost and the tops of the doorways. Do you see anything there? The doorpost and the doorways. It's a cross. If you study over in verse chapter 25 of Exodus, God gives them the design for the temple and that the way that the uh, tribes of Israel are to encamp around the tabernacle. So here's the tabernacle, and then there were four tribes to the east, and four tribes to the west, four tribes to the the north and the south. And so when you had an aerial view of the tabernacle, guess what you saw? A cross. Paul said, I glory in nothing save the cross of Christ and him crucified. Thank God he died, but praise God he got up. Then it tells in verses 8 through 11 of Exodus 12 what to do with the lamb and how to eat the lamb. We know because we get to look back that Jesus is the lamb of God. He was the lamb of God. And we don't leave any part of Jesus out. Altogether he is lovely. What this meant for the tribes of Israel's day were to go behind the door where the blood was put on the post, shut the door, And it said to cook the lamb, roast it, and eat it all. It says from the head to the tail, the entrails don't leave any part of the lamb out. I don't know about you. I like lamb, but I don't like the entrails. How many are having lamb for lunch today now? Nothing but mutton. (laughs) But he says, don't boil it in water. To me, that tells me not to water down the message of Jesus. It speaks of not watering down. We serve the whole lamb. We serve everything about Jesus. That he was a great teacher. That he is a great teacher. That he is the healer. That he is the storm stopper and the hurricane husher. And that he is the lamb of God, the water walker. He is all of those things. We don't leave any of it out. And the work that he came to do was to destroy the works of the devil. How many believe and can say amen that he did that this morning? He destroyed the works of the devil. And then verse 13 says that that blood shall be a sign. So that when the angel saw the blood, that he would cause them to pass over. And when now Jesus sees the blood that has been applied to your heart, that he sees you as perfect before the Lord and he passes over, you're going to find out in this message what he's doing and what that Passover for you and I means today. And Then in verse 27, it talks about the unleavened bread that was to be eaten, which we partook of this morning which is a sign of his body that old covenant passover meal that Jesus shared with his disciples in Luke 22 completely took on a brand new meaning it didn't it was not going to mean what it meant for the children of Israel now it was going to be for all people that his body and his blood were shed for us and we partake of the unleavened bread leaven was a type of sin it portrayed sin. So when you eat unleavened bread, it doesn't have yeast in it. And the yeast represents that sin. So you're taking all of the yeast, the sin, out to eat the pure bread. And he is that pure bread. Now again, the Passover preceded this exodus that opened the way to freedom, as did his death, burial, and resurrection opened up a way for us out of sin into Freedom, And I believe that's the good news this morning. So that's the lamb that John was talking about when he sees Jesus come over the banks of the Jordan River. Let me ask you something. Do you believe Jesus was sinless? Do you believe he was perfect and had never sinned? Well, John the Baptist's ministry was a baptism unto repentance. So what did Jesus need to repent of? My answer would be nothing. He was sinless. So why did Jesus have to be baptized? I believe as we share this morning that we can present to you a reason for why Jesus went to the Jordan River. But as he comes, John says, "Behold." Let's look at John 1.29. Let's break down these words on this Easter Sunday morning that I think will be be I bring a brand new light to the resurrected king this morning behold that word behold in the greek means be sure to see don't miss it it's an it's an observable objective fact john just wasn't making a statement john was he observed a, a fact it was an objective fact you could not argue with He says, be sure that you see and that you don't miss the Lamb of God. Can you imagine? Now, I've heard, and Dr. Howes will be with us next weekend, and he can really describe it a whole lot better, and he will close out our series on Exodus as he talks about um, different types and shadows. It's going to be great. But I've heard him say that when... Joshua takes the children of Israel and he brings them to the Jordan River and the ark. There, see, Moses led them out by a rod, but Joshua, Jesus, Yeshua, led them out by a mercy seat. And when they stepped into the water with that mercy seat, he says, "Take twelve stones here by the Jordan River and stack these stones up as a memorial." I believe that Jesus walks down over the bank of that very place because in that he said. He could make out of those stones a living house unto himself. And this is where Jesus, the Lamb of God, walks over into the Jordan. And John says, Behold, be sure to see it. Don't miss it. My goal this morning, my goal every week is to make sure that you see Jesus. We don't want you to ever leave this building without having seen Jesus. I think that that's what we all should be doing everywhere we go is to make sure that Jesus is seen. Behold, the. Uh, You're going to talk about the word the, just a simple word, the. Yes, because it has great meaning. This word the, it, it means the only one, the specific one. See, because, like I told you, just on the Passover of Exodus, there were millions of lambs slaughtered. But that was just the inaugural Passover. Every year for 2,000 years up to the point of Jesus, lambs were being sacrificed not just on Passover, but every day. This isn't just another lamb. This is the lamb, the lamb of God, the only one, the specific one, the once and for all lamb of God. Hebrews tells us that there remaineth no more sacrifice. I mean, if you study out Hebrews and you will see that there is nothing to go back to sacrifice. If you went back to killing lambs, little baby oh, sheep, that's not going to bring any salvation. Because the Lamb of God was the only, the specific, the last one, and there remains no more sacrifice. The Lamb that spotless, perfect, one-year-old male lamb that represented Jesus who was the spotless, perfect, and He was in His first year of ministry when John declares, Behold the Lamb. He is the Lamb of God. Now, this is where I really get excited this morning. and In the first service, I, I just was so excited to share this and I am with you too takes away the lamb who takes away this is a Greek phrase ario is the word in the Greek and it means to remove the guilt and punishment of sin it means to cause sin neither to be imputed or to be punished now uh, that's a good place to say hallelujah hallelujah Thank you, Jesus, because he was the Lamb of God who takes away. He removed the guilt. I was seven years old on a July summer um, can't even remember what year that was. 1976 Tom England was preaching Southwest Church of God. And I Felt the tug of God on my heart, and as a seven-year-old boy, I walked down that aisle, knelt at the altar, and I said, Lord, forgive me. Come into my heart, and he took up residence in my life. But for 30 more years after that, 32 more years after that, I lived in guilt and condemnation. I didn't realize that it was really true that he took away the guilt and the punishment. I suffered in my own heart and my own mind that if I said something that I shouldn't have said or that I did something that I shouldn't have done or that I, then it became things like why I I didn't read three out of the old and two out of the new and one psalm and one proverb every day or, or I didn't pray an hour and then it got to the point where if I prayed an hour now I really felt condemned that I wasn't praying that hour on my knees because I needed to sacrifice and get on my knees and then I would fail and I'd feel guilty about that and I'd feel like God was punishing me so I would redouble my efforts how many of you spun your wheels like that for years in guilt and condemnation I'm thankful that I can show you you can see this morning that you won't miss the Lamb of God who takes away he took away the punishment of sin and he He's not counting that sin against you. He's not imputing it. Man, Lisa reminded me that in Psalm 37, David declared, Blessed is the man whose sin is not imputed against him. Paul grabs that thought in Romans, and then he shares it again in 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, verse 19. And he says, For God was in Christ, restoring the world to himself, no longer counting men's sins against them but blotting them out that is the wonderful message that he has given to us to share with everyone else I I looked at Darius in the first service and I said sometimes I, I literally even get sick at my stomach that evangelism has turned into telling people how bad they are and what they have done is going to God is going to be so mad at them and I can't even picture this God anymore that that God made me an atheist because I didn't believe in that kind of God anymore. That he's going to send people to burn and torture them. My Bible says in the original language that he removed all guilt and punishment from sin. And that he's not counting men's sins against them. I know religious minds right now are that's hard for you to receive I was there but he's not counting see the message that he has given us to share is Gary God's not mad at you he's not counting your sin against you God so loved you that even while you were in your sin he sent Christ to die for you you are his child you are his son You need to awaken to that. You can can step into the benefits of an abundant life in the here and now and miss all of the hell on earth to enjoy heaven now to go to heaven someday when you die. That's the message of good news that we ought to be sharing with someone. Listen, people will turn you off in a heartbeat if all you're going to talk about is the guilt and punishment of what they already know that they've done wrong. Pastor, you're soft on sin. No, I'm just big on Jesus. (laughs) Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Look at that in your Bibles right now on the screens. The sin. It doesn't say sins. It's singular. The sin of the world. That Greek word for sin there is hamartia. And it's not even a verb where you have any action or you commit anything. This word hamartia, the sin, is a noun and it means the failing to hit the mark and an error in understanding. Sin is not the stuff that you do. Sin is being out of sync with your true identity that causes you to miss out on sonship. If you don't hear anything else this morning, will you hear me that you're a son? You are God's son. He died for you. The scripture in 2 Corinthians said that God was in Christ. Kay Fairchild, one of our friends on Facebook, said, Why do we teach that God separated himself from Christ at the cross? He didn't. Right there, God was in Christ, reconciling the world. He's done everything that he's going to do to reconcile you to himself. The question this morning is, like Paul said, will you reconcile yourself? Will you reckon in your mind that that is true about you? This sin here is singular. It's the sin of the world, and it's not the stuff you do. It's the missing of the mark and not understanding your true identity and who you are. I I have a personal view that I would submit to you that if you were born after the cross, you were born in Christ, not in Adam. Just think about it. The sin of the world, the word world here is cosmos. That's the entire human family and their social structures. For God so loved all of humankind and all of their social structures. The Middle East social structure is different than the American social structure. And the African social structure is different than the Asian Social structure. And can I go on and say that the Muslim structure is different from the Buddhist structure. And the gay community structure is different than the heterosexual community. Come on somebody help me with all that. You don't want to get behind that. But he died for all the human family and all of their social structures. That's good preaching. So what the picture that John is really painting here. If we understood the Greek language, and the disciples did, those who would read this in the Greek language would understand, this is a picture of an anchor being raised out of the water in order for the vessel to sail away in freedom. See, what I'm trying to tell you is, if you, will, if you allow that anchor to weigh you down and to bog you down, you will have a difficult time navigating through life. I'm not saying that you can't get through life. There are a lot of people that get through life, but it's just been very, very difficult dragging that anchor around everywhere they go. But what Jesus did at the cross, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, is He has lifted that anchor up out of the water for you so that your vessel can sail freely through life. Romans, the fourth chapter. Verse 25. I'm going to bring this ship in to the port and land this airplane here. Let's look at Romans 4.25. It says that he, Jesus, was delivered over to death for our trespasses. And he was raised so that we might be made right with God. In other words, he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, the sons of God. Two things in this scripture, because of the cross you're redeemed. The lamb went to the cross to pay a ransom. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. In Acts, the 20th chapter, it says that He purchased the church with His precious blood. As the Lamb of God, He went to the cross and took on our sins so that you and I could be redeemed. And Lisa hit the nail on the head, but He got up. Without His resurrection, we're like any other religion that serves a dead idol. We have a dead leader who's done nothing for us but shed his blood. But he didn't stop there. The Spirit of God entered into that tomb and made alive. Raised Christ up from the dead. And the scripture says here in Romans the fourth chapter. That because of his resurrection you and I are justified. Jonathan if you'd come. That means he has rendered you just. As if you had never sinned, innocent, acquitted, declared righteous in the eyes of God. My prayer for you this Easter is that you behold Jesus. I can look over the congregation and I can see faces. I know most of your faces. And I can say that majority of this congregation has believed and received and are learning to mature and enjoying the benefits of abundant life. Some have never believed. Some have never, never placed their faith in what Jesus did at the cross. See, the Bible says that if you will believe in your heart that God raised Christ from the dead and confess with your mouth, you shall be saved. It's not just a mental assent to say, yeah, I believe Jesus did that. No, it's, it's a faith believing in your heart Unfortunately, religion has put in our minds that we are enemies with God. And Colossians even says that that's the only place that you are an enemy of God is in your mind. Because he's never been your enemy. He's not against you. He is for you. Good news. Good news doesn't matter what you did last night last week or last month he's not counting it against you he does not have a scorecard that he's tabulating how many good works you've done and how many bad works you've done and if your good works outweigh your bad works he'll let you in know what Jesus did at the cross ensures and gives you security that you can make it in believe that this morning if you believe that whether you're in a state of mind that you don't believe in God at all or you're in a state of mind that he's your enemy and he's against you I want to present Jesus to you behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world may you see him crucified buried raised on the third day seen by many in his resurrected body ascended to the Father and now seated at the right hand of God Where you and I are seated with him in the heavenly Christ. This man is more than he seems. He is the lamb sent from God, the sacrifice to erase and to eradicate the sin of the world. Aren't you glad? I believe I've shared good news with you this morning on this Resurrection Sunday. I believe this is the message that he's given to us to share with everyone that we come in contact with so that they will behold Jesus. I believe what you behold is what you'll become. And the more you behold him, the more you look at him, the more that you see him, the more that you will begin to see yourself because you were created in the likeness and the image of God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. As you stand this morning, would you begin to contemplate? You want going to ask John to sing. And as he sings, would you just contemplate in your own heart and mind, where am I? What do I believe this morning? Maybe there needs to be some repentance in the house. We'll come back and pray with you in just a minute.